Praise God. Let's go to the book of 1 John chapter 5. All right, Dad. First John chapter five. Last week we were uh, in the first part. We were we saw in verse three. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous, or they're not burdensome. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the scriptures, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us as orphans, Lord. But, Lord, you've given us your word. Lord, your promises are faithful. They're yes and amen. And, Lord, we're so grateful, God, that you have preserved the word for us, God. Lord, your Psalms 12 says, Lord, you know what it says. You wrote it. But I'm just reminding myself. Hallelujah. That you would preserve your word for each generation, from generation to generation, Lord. You've made your promise to us, God. And so, Lord, as we get into your word tonight, God, I just pray, Lord, that the life, the living, quickening power of your word, God, would go into our hearts, Lord, and transform our minds, Lord. And, Lord, conform us into the image of your dear son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So we saw in chapter 5, verse 3, that his commandments are not burdensome. And we saw in the Gospels where Jesus said, what did he say? Take on my... And what did he say about his yoke? He said it was easy. And he said it was, it was light. It's, it's not a burden. It's not a heavy, heavy load. All right? We saw that a yoke is a device that is used to put two things together. And, you know, and the Lord has given us his spirit. When Jesus said, he said, I must go away that the comforter would come. It's interesting that the comforter and Jesus could not dwell on earth at the same time. He said that. He said, I must go that he may come. Because the Lord, by his spirit, links us up with his son through the power of the Holy Ghost. That Greek word for comforter is parakletos. It means to come alongside of. All right. The Lord wants us to work in tandem with him. And you guys probably know this and his experiences, but some of the most powerful times in the Lord that I've ever had is where I'm just a millimeter behind him. And it's not hard to get ahead of the Holy Ghost. You know, when you're when you're under the power and you feel the inspiration, we have to make sure that we are staying behind the Holy Spirit, that He's doing the leading. And if any of you have ever ministered, you know what I'm talking about. You can get so excited when God reveals something to you that you get ahead of Him. And then all of a sudden, you kind of lose the time and you start start tripping up a little bit, stumbling. And um, I like what Brother Clark said last, last week with us. He said, you know, the way the yoke is designed is that the lead the lead animal, the strong one, is always a, one step ahead of the one that's alongside of, encouraging and leading. And, and that's what the Lord, He wants us to walk in partnership and a divine, He's called us into a divine partnership with the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so, and that's what he means when he says, take on my yoke, it's easy. You know, it's easy. The things of the Lord are easy. They're not hard. You know, I don't know why people say, you might've heard people say this, boy, I'm just, I'm have, I'm in burnout, man. I'm having ministry burnout or I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. And I'm like, man, brother, if you're burnt out, then you're on the wrong yoke. Amen. Because, you know, it's an easy yoke. And when we're walking with the Holy Spirit, it's easy. Does that mean we won't have adversity? Oh, yeah, we'll have adversity. But there is, I don't think there's no burnout. I mean, people write books about it. That's okay. They got, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Personally, I don't think there's no burnout in the Holy Ghost. I think in the Holy Ghost, man, there's fire. There's revival fire. And, you know, and like, I, like one, one guy told an 80-year-old preacher, it's not time to retire. It's time to refire. Amen. Amen. You know, one guy said, you know, preachers, they don't retire. They just die because, you know, we're all called to preach. You know what I mean? And we're called to preach till Jesus takes us home. Praise God. Amen. All right. Now, talking about yokes here, there's one other thing I, you know, with the topic of yoke that I want you to um, have a look at. And that's over in Corinthians. Go over to Corinthians with me for a minute. And I'll give you a chapter and verse here in just a second. Uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians. Uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Cor 6, 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Say amen when you're there. All right, so we're talking about yokes, okay? Talking about yokes. It's a familiar scripture. If you've been in church long enough, or if you've had children or you've had loved ones, you've probably told them about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, look what it says here. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. All right? Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. There's a partnership that we're to have. To, we're to be yoked with Jesus, not to be. Notice it says what unequally yoked. You know, when we try to, you know, take on a partnership with the world to try to further what God has called us to, there's an unequalization there. It's not natural. You know, I'm not a big fan of trying to structure the church like a, a good corporation. Amen. You know, we've got a movement, and I saw it when I first moved over here. You know, people are trying to make the church look like, you know, like a good, like a good corporation. Um, you know, with, with you know, their, their, all the different value statements. And, you know, and, and, you know I, this isn't Starbucks, man. Okay, Amen. you know, this is the church of the, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and every congregation is its own separate organism, right. and it's living and moving. We're not some, we cannot be um, clones. You know, we can't clone ourselves after that one over there and that one over there and, and, you know, replicate and replicate and replicate. You know, when you look at the book of Revelation, when Jesus was ministering to his church, all seven of those churches were totally different. Yeah. They were totally different. They had their own strengths. They had their own weaknesses. 
They had the things that they needed to change. They even all had their different rewards that Jesus promised them. And what that is telling me is, is that the, that each body of the Lord Jesus Christ is a living body. And it cannot be conformed or pressed into a corporate image. It's impossible to be effective for the things of God like that. I don't want to be yoked with what works in the world. I want to be yoked with the Lord Jesus Christ because he knows what his church needs, when it needs it, and how it needs it. Amen? Now, this is another thing that um, we need to stress here. And with regards to our relationships, okay? Now, you know, this is a... Uh, to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever is you're just bringing sorrow to yourself. Because it's not going to work. I'm just going to be honest with you right now. There are many veterans in here tonight that can tell you it just does not work. You know, how many have fallen for the lie where I love him and I can change him? He's not a believer right now, but boy, once we get together, he'll become a believer. Or boy, she doesn't love the Lord, but I know, you know, once we get together, she'll love the Lord. Let me show you something. There's a commandment to be separate. And we find that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's swing over there for a minute. All the way in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. And that's right after, what is it, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we are in, um, where did I say to go? Chapter 7. Remember, you got a table of contents in the front of your Bible. It's very helpful. We're going to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Say amen when you're there. Let's start at verse 1. Everybody there? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, this is the Lord speaking here. Um, he's speaking to... Uh, Moses is speaking through the Lord. The Lord is speaking through Moses, obviously. But he says, Now when the Lord thy God shall bring you into the land where you're going to possess it, and he has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, per and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations... Seven nations that are what? Greater and mightier or stronger than you. Okay? Seven nations. It's interesting that these seven nations correspond. How many have ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Envy, sloth, gluttony, wrath, pride, lust, and greed. Seven Nations stronger than you. These weaknesses of the flesh, they're stronger. Paul says, 
you know, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a battle spiritually going on for our sanctification, which is very parallel to the battles that the, that the Israelites had when they were trying to take the land in Canaan. And if you study the book of Joshua, there's an incredible parallel to having Christian victory and our walk with the Lord and where the Israelites were fighting these different nations when they were going into Canaan. Now, when they were going in, what did he say? They're stronger and mightier than you, right? That's what he said. Now he says, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee. So he's already declared that these nations are stronger than them, but who's going to be doing the delivering? God is going to take a stronger person and give the weaker person a victory. The same goes with our spiritual walk. God is, gives us victory over the things that hinder us in the flesh. The Lord promises victory because he's stronger. Amen. The spirit man, if it's allowed to work in the Christian, is stronger than the works of the flesh. The works of the spirit is mightier and stronger. And so it's the same thing here. God said he will deliver them before thee. You shall smite them and utterly destroy them. Now, one of the biggest faults that the Israelites had is when they went into the, to the land, they did not take out all of the enemies that God wanted them to. And they come back and they were hindrances. How many remember when you were first saved and man, you were just so in love with Jesus and nothing could Nothing could take away that desire and devotion for him. But you just, as time goes on, you just didn't quite take out all the things that Jesus wanted you to take out. And they become little, they're, they're little uh, thorns in the flesh. You know, they, they're, they're nipping at you your whole walk, you know. Yeah. And so that's kind of like how, how it is here. The key is, is to not do what he says here. Make no covenant with them. Nor show mercy unto them. Show no mercy. You know, there's too many people feeling sorry for the evil one. We're not to feel sorry for the things that exalt themselves against God. Okay? We're not to show mercy there. We're not to make covenants. You know, make covenant. Look at verse 3. Neither shall you make marriages with them. All right, so there's three things now dealing with unbelievers. Three things that he's warning the children of God here not to do. One, don't make covenant. All right? Don't show mercy. Now, that doesn't mean we're not to go out here and not have show, you know, preach the gospel and show the mercy of God to the unbeliever. That's what he's talking about here is, is because he told him to go out there and kill him, didn't he? He's, 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 he said, take him out. And so he's saying, don't, don't let him live. All right. Now, this is old covenant now. All right. So let's be real here. We got to understand, you know, we can't go out here and start slaying our enemies with the sword 
or taking up AR-15s and, and killing people and showing no mercy. That's not what he's saying here. Got to be clear. This is the Old Testament. Now, listen, we're in the day of grace. This is the age of grace. This age here, this is a different age that God was dealing with here. But let me tell you something. This same God that you read here is the same way God will deal with the nations when Jesus Christ returns. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, the age of grace is done with. All right. And the wrath of God will be poured out again. See, God was God. God just wasn't taking these people out because he just felt like it. These people were taking babies and they were putting them on a flaming altar for sacrifice. And they would worship the God of Moloch. All right. They were abusing children. They were abusing women. They were abusing each other. They were a ruthless people. And God, it was, an, it, was a, it was a punishment in a sense is what this was. It was, it was God was using the Israelites to bring his wrath or judgment upon these nations, okay? And that's why he's saying, show no mercy unto them. Now listen, when we all come back with Jesus, because when we get raptured and we all come down with Jesus, it says the Lord is going to return and we are going to fight with the Lord on the earth. And squashes enemies. And I'm telling you now, we're not to show no mercy. When we're riding with Jesus and we're to be executing his vengeance when the Lord returns, you know, these are the kind of things we need to understand here. Because he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. Amen? Amen. I feel it getting a little heavy in here, so I want to move on. But listen, the main thing we need to know here is, is that with it comes to unbelievers, he said, neither shall you marry with them. Your daughter shall not give unto a son. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shall you take unto thy son. And this is the reason why. Look at verse 4. For they will turn away your son from following me. Okay, that's the number one reason why the Lord does not want us, unequal, want us unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because they will turn you away from worshiping the Lord. And I don't care what a person says. This will happen because it's God's word. Yeah. Now, people think, oh, I'm so in love. It'll change. It'll be different. Man, you are setting yourself up for heartbreak hotel. Okay. And we need to be ruthless in this, okay, with our children and with the people that we love, you know. And, you know, the bottom line is a lot of times they're just not going to listen. You know, you, I, you, you've, you know, you've had people, you've tried to tell this to, they, don't, they won't listen because they think that they know. But what's most important, okay, is that you take them to God's word and show them, okay? And once you do this, that's all you're responsible for. Okay, I think we are responsible to show them in the word why God tells us that we shouldn't be equally yoked with unbelievers. Why, if you're a born again, Holy Ghost filled Christian, why you should not be dating somebody who's not. Why you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't do it. Okay, and um, so just take them to these scriptures, make notes in your Bible and, you know, and show them why. All right. And the main reason why is because 
And this is the test, really. And then I'll move on from this subject. If verse 4 says that they will turn our heart away from the Lord, if His Word already says, don't be unequally yoked, and that's His Word, and the Bible says, if you love God, you'll keep my commandments. If His Word says that, if His commandment is not to do that, and then you go ahead and do that, haven't they already fulfilled verse 4 and turned your heart away from Him? So it's already in the works. The process has already begun, you see. And that's what we have to acknowledge. It's already started. Because if you were worshiping the Lord and you were staying true to God, you would love Him more than you do your feelings. Okay? And I'm just speaking from experience, you know. I mean, I, some of you may have had relationships where you've had to sacrifice them and say, this ain't right. I'm... I'm out of here, you know, and it hurts. It, it kills for a while, you know, and it's, you know, and there's tears and there's heartache. But I'll tell you, that's only soul deep down in the spirit. You know that you're fulfilling the word of the Lord and it will it will it will be best for you. Yeah, brother. Uh, having done some marriage counseling in the past, I can tell you this, that it's easier to counsel two unbelievers who are married than it is to counsel somebody who's an unbeliever married to the other. Wow. That's right. I mean, the easiest thing is to counsel two believers. Huh. Yeah. But if you got two unbelievers and they go there, you can counsel them much easier again if they're different. Right on. And you know, Paul brings up that because there's a lot of people. I mean, there's some, I know people that are, love the Lord and their spouse is not saved. All right. Now, Paul deals with that in Corinthians. There's there's answers for that. Um, you know, he doesn't. It just they all are by, have to do with the circumstances. You know, um, for instance, you know, if, if they Paul says if the spouse is an unbeliever, but they want to stay with you, that you should stay together for the covering of your children. And that maybe somehow, by your example, they would get saved. Now, we're talking about people that are already married. This is people that are married and one person gets saved. Why they're married. You know, if, a, if you're married and you get saved and your spouse doesn't get saved, Paul doesn't teach us that, oh, well, I'm saved now and they're not saved. We should split up. He doesn't. That's not his advice. That's right. Okay. It's not his advice. And I'll tell you right now. This stuff we see in the church right now where people are trying to say, oh, they're holding me back in my ministry and, you know, we're not compatible in ministry together, so we're just going to divorce. That's a little hogwash. And it's happening in the church and it's happening to high profile characters and it's wrong. What you need to do is you need to come out of your ministry and work on your marriage and see what God wants to do with your life and then move on. And I'm telling you, man, because it's like this. It's God. Family, ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the order. And if your family is suffering, you don't change your family to make your ministry work. Right. You need to change your ministry yeah. to make your family work. Mm-hmm. Amen? Amen. And that's not being, that's, that's getting messed up in high profile uh, charisma Christianity in our day. And I'll tell you what, it makes me mad. You know what? It makes the Holy Ghost mad. Because it's a bad example, man. It's not right. It's not right, man. 
Now, there are, pl there, there, there are plenty of examples in the scripture of, of what is legal to, you know, to divorce and, and stuff like that. There is examples in scripture. But this kind of stuff that's going on out here today where we're just not compatible and they have a different ministry than me. And so we're going to get a divorce and I'm going to go with this person over here. That's, that is not right, man. That's not right. I would also say people who date unbelievers to bring them to church is another dangerous place. I yeah. Known a lady that had seven marriages because she was doing that all the time. Yeah, exactly. You can't. You were not going to get people saved. You gotta. You gotta. You've got to go after somebody that loves God. Amen. Okay. And you know, and and whether you're insecure or you don't feel, you know, whatever it is, you know. I always say, you know, when just personal. Catherine came into my life when Jesus was enough for me. I was chasing girls, you know, young Christian, trying to find that woman that's going to do it for me, trying to find, you know, whatever. When I finally said, you know what? I don't care if I ever get married. Lord, Jesus is enough. You're enough for me, Lord. And when he's enough and when you can stand to be alone in a room with yourself and with the presence of the Holy Spirit, man, they'll come along. They'll come along. Amen. Because when Adam... Where did Adam find when he realized he was he needed a helpmate when he was doing what God told him to do? He was in the middle of the work of what God told him to do. And he realized um, they have a, they have somebody. And, and God put that desire in his heart to have an, have a helpmate in doing what he was doing. Praise God. All right. So. So don't be unequally yoked. Most of us know that. I just wanted to show you, you know, the difference between being yoked with Jesus and being unequally yoked with a believer because they will take you, they will steal your heart. They will steal your heart, man. All right. Now, verse 4, or we left off in verse uh, 5. We, Who is he that overcomes the world? Back in 1 John 5, verse 5. But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, Pastor and I, we've really been, we've got our teeth into this thing right now, man. We got our teeth in this thing. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, look at verse 6. Now, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness because the spirit is truth. Yes, Verse seven, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the father, the word, and the Holy ghost. And there are, these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. Now, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. For he that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. And he that believes not God hath made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave of his Son. <laughs> 